As Christian filmmakers, the production phase of movie making is the most recognizable portion of our craft. It's what people who don't make movies think of when they think about making movies. They don't imagine someone drawing storyboards or adjusting node trees in Da Vinci. And they certainly don't think about the effort of keeping a set well-fed and on schedule. They think of you calling for lights, camera, action. As image bearers, making things is in our nature. God got his hands down in the mud to make Adam, and you want to do that too. Zodiac director David Fincher says, it takes titanium and aluminum and steel and glass and lasers to do one thing, impart feeling. And that's the magic of cinema. Like our creator, we pull humanity from dirt. And he's right, it is magic. From the audience's perspective, but from the director's chair, it's childbirth. You command every detail brought before the viewer. You build an experience in their mind through your ability to smoothly communicate vision to the technicians of titanium, aluminum, steel, glass, and lasers. But due to the corruption of our flesh from the fall, masterfully making good things doesn't come easy. Creation resists us, something you're bound to feel anytime you step on a set. During production, all progress goes through the stomachs of your cast and crew. Headaches and back pain are inevitable, and success means navigating the physical limitations of your equipment. Overheating cameras, noisy lights, bad batteries, and on and on. Even the simplest days on set can be brutal. On this, Birdman director Alejandro Inarritu says, to make a film is easy. To make a good film is war. To make a very good film is a miracle. But take heart, faithful filmmaker. The battle is worth it. And because of your love of Christ, you're especially equipped to thrive in this arena. For you, this time is a trial of personal and professional sanctification. In fact, all failures, setbacks, and tragedies are given to us for our good. Just ask Job. Through your reliance on Christ, you will receive the necessary patience and creativity to overcome each obstacle you face. By resting in Christ's performance, you can take failure on the chin because it's part of your Father's plan to make you more like His Son. And for your audience, God will use your movies to help shape the moral contours of their mind. Done well, your films will feed their souls. In many ways, when you call yourself a filmmaker, this is the true work you've chosen. You are a soul feeder. And at the highest levels, your food can only be made with a team. A team that looks to you for moral, logistical, and creative leadership. So, how are you at leading a room? How about communicating vision, creative problem solving, staying on schedule, encouraging the faint-hearted? How do you think your faith should shape the sets that you run. You're listening to God Deserves Better, a program dedicated to equipping the saints to create like our creator. And welcome back to GDB. I'm your host, Zach Lovelace. And I'm your host, Jonathan Laura. And we are two Christian filmmakers just trying to carve careers built on excellence. And this is part two of three dissecting how to make your first short film. Yep. We, we know that every career, at least in the modern era, has been built on the backs of really good short films. They are calling cards. You can use them to leverage commercial work, work in the actual formal Hollywood industry, as well as impress family and friends. Yeah. Just a good way to build experience without as much pressure of a feature film. Mm-hmm. It is a, it's a pressure cooker. You, you called it a learning tool before in the previous episode. And for the previous episode, we talked about pre-production. So this one we're dedicating to production, actually being on set, boots on the ground, camera is on for your first short film. 
Yes. Like you said in the monologue, this is what people think of when they think of film. They imagine production. Yeah, they think of the director with like the beret and the weird horse riding pants yeah, that are like yeah. wide and he's got like the big the megaphone. megaphone. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's yeah. not just lights, camera, action. Um, just to recap, during pre-production, the project is planned and prepared for filming. Um, this phase involves a lot of the activities like uh, script development, mm -hmm. casting, securing funding, location scouting, creating a shooting schedule as well. Storyboards. Storyboards, anything like that. Just doing all of the groundwork so that once you arrive to this step of production, you're just executing. It's simply execution. You're not having to make any deep creative decisions that can affect the entire film. Mm -hmm. You may have to just with other factors, totally. I guess. But we live in a fallen world. You'd have no idea what's going to happen any yeah. given day. We've shown up on sets and it's perfectly planned. Yeah. And something happens and you have to just Or you made a mistake in, in pre-production, even though you planned it. What is it? The force majeure, just act of God. Yeah. I have this thing about interruptions. I'm a very impatient person. And so I find that interruptions for me are really God like getting my attention. Hmm. So I had an actor one time pull out his back a day or two before the shoot and I needed to rework it. So the character had a, had a cane <laughs> um, and it worked. Okay. Good. It worked. But it, again, not ideal, yeah. but I had to just roll with it. Was he an older gentleman or no, no, no. He was like a middle-aged guy. So it was like, okay. you, well, know. you know, yeah. I was thinking if it was like a teenager or like a, a you know, a young adult. Oh yeah. No, that would suck. Yeah, that's true. Actually. Yeah. yeah. I mean, totally ruin it basically yeah. at that point yeah. <laughs> when it happened, he called me and was like, we'll never believe what happened, man. Oh boy. Like, I think he pulled his back, like just getting out of bed, which He's old, you know, as being a 30 something, I can attest that that actually does happen. One big thing I remember you saying in the previous episode is that imagine the worst case scenario and work backward from that. Mm -hmm. So during the pre-production phase, this will save future you during production. Think about maybe my actor could throw out his back yeah. two days before and I need a backup plan. Yeah. I think not for every actor. Now don't get like super anxious and get into every minutia, but just like, I guess you yeah, can't always prepare for every act of God, but no, yeah, and this is actually something that I don't think we hit in the last episode is rehearsals and crew meetings. That is something that really helps you know, in terms of performances, rehearsals with your cast. So yeah. you know day of, they're just executing. Because actors, they are still figuring it out. Like they're going to come to you with a preloaded performance. Sure. But if you have time for rehearsal, and I hear this all the time, I watch a lot of behind the scenes and stuff of like big feature films, and the more rehearsal time, the better that performance is going to be. Just like someone who studies more will do better on a test, mm -hmm. generally speaking. So Sidney Lumet, one of my favorite directors and one of my favorite films, Network, he gave his actors, I think a month or so, mm. and they were all in one big ballroom. And he had he had it like taped down and it mm. made it, it made the difference because you can see what other people are doing too. You said it was for Network? Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that one. But. It's really good. It's very prophetic about television and the media controlling things and, and behind the scenes, what they're trying to get you to think about and uh, tensions. It seems very relevant. It is an extremely relevant movie. It just, it just got turned into a Broadway play with uh, Brian Cranston. Oh, really? That's the main, main actor, yeah. Sidney Lovett's one of the best directors of all time. You can't really do any better than that. If he did it and his actors were saying it was great, you should probably try it out. But in terms of the crew, you can just meet with them and go through the storyboards, go through the schedule, go through the gear. Their even. rehearsal, their version of a rehearsal. Totally, yeah. That's exactly right. I mean, you think about like a play, mm -hmm. the people who are raising the curtains and moving the sets around and stuff, they need just as much rehearsal to know where the actors are going to be and mm -hmm. and whatnot. So to the best of your ability, again, this is your first short film, so it probably has no budget, which means that you probably can't spend a lot of time 
and having all of your technicians on set. But if these are people that you have, you know, through church or something, you could probably have access to them. Oh yeah. See them every Sunday. Yeah. At least. I take communion with this guy. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't take communion last weekend. It was weird. <laughs> hey, uh, why are you outside of fellowship? I don't know if I want you to work on this film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Just take communion. <laughs> yeah, I'm under church discipline. Oh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I kind of want to use a quote to transition us to get into the production. It's from Martin Campbell, who was the director of GoldenEye, Casino Royale, and The Mask of Zorro. You probably know the first two. He like re, he's famous for rebooting James Bond twice, which is actually it's kind of cool. I like pre-production and post the best. I don't like shooting at all. I find it grueling and tough, but I love post and the whole process of seeing the film finally come together. You start ironing out all the rough spots and the really bad bits you just throw away. So from day one of post to the last day, you see nothing but improvements. Now, that all sounds like a really good quote for post-production. Yeah. And it is. But I thought it was interesting. Production can be grueling and tough. Yeah. And he's definitely the hardest part. It is. And and he's just racing to get to post. I just want to sit with all of my my whole film and I want to just put it it all. You know, I was. <laughs> I, I'm, un, I, I'm under church discipline. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good line. Yeah. Saying it to like a non-believer. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, what was I saying? He has his crew. Like he has his people putting it all together. Yeah, and I think we even mentioned Stanley Kubrick before saying that that he assembles all the bits. He loves post production. A lot of directors love post production. Yeah. The reason post is so good is because you're just seeing things get better and better mm-hmm. during production. You're just in the trenches. It's difficult, sweaty. You your set can only go as far as your people. They are your set. They are your exactly. And I've been on sets where, like, you get everybody together and you're like, "Hey, to get this done, we need two more hours." Asking them to stay up till like one a.m. and get paid less, technically. Yeah, I guess so. If you think about, it, I'm paying you a hundred dollars for ten hours, and I ask you to work two more. It's yeah. like the longer you work, the less you're getting paid. As a salaried person, I know this. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> to get us back, I like that quote from Martin Campbell because he is telling you the best type of production is serving post-production. The best type of director-producer, which is the person we're talking to here. As If this is your first short film, that's really the role or combo role that you're going to be serving in. You need to think like an editor when you're on set. Everything that you are doing, you're going grocery shopping, and you're about to make the most amazing meal Honestly, for God. Yeah. Uh, but Make also it. for your audience, the worst thing you can do is show up to the grocery store hungry. Yeah. Very inefficient. It's super inefficient. Or if you show up without enough allotted time. Or and also if you show up not hungry at all, but you have no goal in mind. Yeah. I like to work out. And a lot of times I tell my wife, hey, I need more protein. And so she meal plans. She buys things knowing that. And it makes the meals even better. It's not just a well-cooked meal, but it's a meal with a purpose. Yeah. So thinking like an editor while you're on set. And then in pre-production, you're thinking like a director. You're thinking like, what do I need? What will a director reach for on set? Yeah. Like, I really need this light. I I really need this lighting setup. I really need this type of camera. I really need this fog machine or an actor who can do this type of thing. And, And then as a writer, you're thinking, you're also thinking the same way. You really have to keep the other positions in mind, not just your own. Which is the beauty of doing it all yourself for your first short film. And that... Let me be clear. That's in pre-production. During production, you need to be in your lane, basically, just executing. Yeah. You've already set up. You're on a schedule. Every moment is accounted for. As soon as 
you have decided or whatever time you have decided you need to start shooting at that is when you and even before that you as the director producer are running around getting gear before anyone steps on set you're picking up food you are communicating with all these people at best you might have someone helping you manage those people and that would be like an ad you gotta get in and get out and the cinematographer we've said this in the previous episode about pre-production this person's probably going to be owning the camera and if not like literally owning the camera I usually task them to go get the camera and get the SD cards, keep all of the extra lenses and all of that and be the person to to offload a little bit of your mind Mm -hmm. onto that person gear wise. Yeah. Make sure they're familiar with their, with their gear as well. They know what they're doing. Can't just have like, you know, a friend do this needs to be someone who knows what they're doing. And if you're the one who knows the most out of it, out of your crew, then you may have to be the cinematographer. Yeah. Or you just make uh, time to check. You may just be telling people to execute. Mm-hmm. Hey, put this light where I marked, set it to this. Yeah. Light. Something else I'd recommend having on set is a script supervisor. Mm-hmm. Basically, they are the ones who ensure the continuity mm-hmm. of the scene. They're meticulously taking notes during the filming, making sure they're getting everything that's written on the script, essentially. They help you set up the clapper. And they're paying attention to every scene and take that is yep. being done. And they do what's called circle takes for you. Mm-hmm. So if the director, you're sitting there watching the monitor that you have set up to, yeah. to view the performances as they're happening, the script is going to be sitting right next to you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to turn to them and say, I really like that. Mm-hmm. And they're going to circle that. Circle and then that, take, yeah. that goes to the editor. I was going to say that as an editor, I love a script supervisor. Oh, of course. It's, it is the representative of the editor on set, I feel like. Yeah. Like the representative, because continuity, it's like I need to be able to stitch these things together. Whereas the director might be really focused on, oh man, I want to get this guy to cry, you know, or whatever. Uh, or just focus on the performance and the cinematographer, obviously, as well. It's going to be like, man, looking at the image here. Yeah. With that said, maybe you could have your editor be the script supervisor. Oh yeah, totally. I've been the script supervisor on a lot of sets, and I love having a big old binder mm-hmm. with that thing printed out. The show we worked on, you were the editor and the script supervisor yes. and the director. Yes. And I was and known for those big folders yeah. that I brought around. Oh, dude. We had production weeks because we had like people coming from out of town. and Oh, yeah. Our host was from California. And yeah. You only kind of for a week. And so there was a ton of pre-production work. Yeah. And, and being out on set and being able to do circle takes, we were doing a lot of interviews mm-hmm. that are just live this student interview, this kid is saying the craziest thing. You want you want to be able to know that timestamp so yes. I don't have to scrub through this hour-long interview. Especially with something unscripted. Yes. The script supervisor is scripting the yes. unscripted. Which, that's obviously super important for something like reality TV. Mm-hmm. They run on their producers and their editors. And or like just interviews. Types. Or just interviews, that's true. Like just a corporate-style like company video or something. Uh, being able to, to get those live moments and, and find them. Because those needles are in haystacks. Yeah. Those hours of footage, you once you get to post, we'll, we'll cover a lot of this, just the gruelingness of, of scrubbing through footage when you're trying to find something that you really liked. So don't set yourself up for failure and have a script supervisor. I will say this, though. Adobe, if, you, if you're uh, in the Adobe uh, ecosystem and you use Adobe Premiere, I'm not sure where the other softwares are at right now, mm-hmm. but they just had an update for 2024. All footage that you ingest is automatically uh, transcribed and so you can actually search. That's it just game takes changing. Right to it, you can copy a sentence, paste it somewhere else. Oh, that's amazing! It is also on set. You're gonna have somebody running the boom, running the mixer for audio. Mm-hmm. You're probably gonna have a gaffer or some set of hands moving lights around. 
and then you're going to have some set of hands as an ingester or DIT, which is a digital imaging technician. Mm-hmm. That might be the editor. It might be case, you, just you somebody who, who is in charge of that SD card and is downloading it. So that precious footage of yours doesn't just get wiped. Your precious groceries, to stick to that analogy. Totally. Don't want to lose them on the way home. No, that's, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, that's never happened doors. to me. That's never happened to me, but I'm sure somebody has left the groceries on the top of the car or something. I've you know? dropped a gallon of milk on the way to the refrigerator. Like one of those prank videos? No, like I just was walking and I dropped it. I slipped. I hurt my back. <laughs> <laughs> It can happen. It can happen. You can lose your groceries. That's true. And you'll have actors and maybe somebody doing hair and makeup for them. But usually on your first short, they do it themselves. Yeah, that's a luxury. Um, You might not even have them do it, honestly, depending on your roles. That's something that I struggle with before a lot of shoots is I don't have hair and makeup often, but I will do that myself. I will just as director reach out and say, hey, actor or actress. And I don't have a lot of language as a guy in terms of like what type of makeup to wear. For my documentary that I'm shooting, I've interviewed this girl, the subject of the documentary, several times, and I have to tell her every time what I want her to wear. Usually it's something thematically related. We have some sort of color story happening, but also like makeup-wise, I usually have to ask my wife. So just a little pro tip there, um, like what I'm going for and what would just look nice. Ask your mommy if you don't have a wife. Mommy? (laughs) What type of makeup do you wear? <laughs> yeah, the 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 phrase I lean on is like the no makeup makeup. Yeah, kind of phrase. Yeah, that's actually the key to makeup, I believe. Right. So well, I yeah. can't tell you're wearing makeup. Yeah, although some makeup looks good. If I can tell you're wearing makeup, it's it's off putting. No, to me it is. If she's got like nice like eyeliner on or whatever, it's I'm not I'm not fooled. I know that her eyelashes aren't thick and luscious and whatever like that. It, I just yeah. don't like it. It's just not for me. That's fair. I actually think most guys don't like makeup. Um, Are you saying guys themselves wearing it? Or no, no, no. I'm saying that of women. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hundred percent. They yeah. It's so nice not having to wear makeup. It is nice. Like I never think about it. And the I times that ready. I do, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I thought about it once. <laughs> yeah. It was that time that I, I, I spilled that milk. I was wearing eyeliner. My dad came in. What the hell are you doing? That's when I spilled the milk. <laughs> and he made me mess up my lipstick. <laughs> it's got the big smear. You want to know how I got these scars? <laughs> I spilled milk. <laughs> my father. <laughs> I hated my father. He wouldn't let me wear my mother's shoes. That's a good father. Yes, that dad actually cares about you. Anyways. Anyway, you wear a lot of hats, and so you're probably going to be a lot of these roles. Focus on what you're interested in. Focus on what you want to learn as well, and have fun with these roles. They don't always have to be there. You can do a, a film that's no actors, just footage and a voiceover. So on set is really just you moving your camera around. Uh, it doesn't have to be a full-fledged big Hollywood production. But something big that um, Zach and I have talked about off camera, off microphone, I guess you could say, is know thy limits. Mm-hmm. Something big that we didn't really talk about in the last episode. Yeah. But that is very key. It's enormous. I think that's actually like one of the new additional pillars of GDP. I'm willing to add a pillar. We got to install a new pillar. <laughs> There's four pillars. We got four pillars in this house now. Oh, yeah. Which makes sense. There's four corners. Of, I don't know. I don't build houses, so. Yeah, you could build a house with three pillars. You could build a house with one pillar. Yeah, you could. 
I mean, it's more like a teepee. It's an umbrella. <laughs> Who am I right now? <laughs> Ernest. Uh, <what> was <laughs> oh, I don't know. You, for after three and a half hours of a movie, and you can't even tell me the character's name. Seven hours. I saw it twice. You saw it twice, dude. Yeah, I told you. If I like, I told you. I went to go see it Johnny. with you. I was trying to bring my brother, and I told him if I really like it, I'll go see it with you again. Oh, so I saw it a second time, and I liked it. He's talking about Killers of the Flower Moon, people. <laughs> We're talking about Leo DiCaprio and his his secretly based performance <laughs> where he woo 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 says his to his Indian wife. I think I think it was entirely too long. I 100% agree with that. That's just Scorsese. He's, I mean, I think. Oh yeah. Majority of his films are over three hours. I don't think he's. He's made earned it. it, but it's like. No, but even like Raging Bull back in the day was over three hours. Like. Oh yeah. He, since he's been started, it that mean. I think his first movie, Mean Streets, was over three hours. Oh. So I haven't seen it, but I, I got a so. bone to pick with that guy. <laughs> it's just how long he takes, I guess. He just loves. Well, he must hate. Thelma Schoonmaker, his his editor. <laughs> it depends. Maybe she's that's less work for her, honestly. No, I, that just means they shoot way more than that. Oh, you think so? Oh, totally. They're reducing like, yeah, probably that's probably true. Oh yeah, with the wandering stories and all that, and it's like we'll find it in the edit. Shoot me. <laughs> no, uh, that's bad pre-production. What you'll hear this a lot, and it's it's not it's not funny to me. Like I hear it and and kind of cringe. The we'll fix it in post that gets thrown around a lot on it's like set. A mainstream, yeah, thing. Yeah, that something's going terribly wrong, or looks terrible, and you just say we'll fix it in post just to keep moving. Which the the sentiment of keep moving is nice. Don't get me wrong, but offloading something onto your editor is not very kind. It's not, but it. I think the context is key with that because you might have to honestly. Again, if you're oh, yeah. trying to respect your actor's time and everything, yes, you got to cut your losses. You may just have to. You are in the director-producer role. You are balancing things. Yeah. And that, the shots. You call that shot. Like, yeah, if you feel like, hey, I'm I'm shooting this sequence and the lighting looks terrible and we'll fix it in post. Or uh, the acting is terrible. Or the acting is terrible. You can't fix I mean, you can sort of fix AI, things. Man. Yeah, you can AI that performance. Boy. Uh, the AI spits it back out and it's like, I can, you know, it, it can only do something good with something good as an ingredient. Yeah. You know? I, I think I mentioned it in the last episode, but I used 11 laps on a project recently, fixed it in post. Yeah. There are, there the are line like, read, and it was, it the was line great. read things. Of course, those things are great off camera dialogue, which Scorsese did a ton in Killers of the Flower Moon. It's like, it made me think, dude, could you not hire a dude to just say that line? He has such a recognizable voice. Yeah. Recognizably New York voice, too. I wish I could do a good Scorsese, but I can't. He's kind of like, um, yeah, he's a little like this, you know? And he's, when I was a child, I, I had asthma. And so I, I went to the movies a lot. <laughs> it's a little bit of the Joker. A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little of this. This is uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. That wasn't very good. That's like Raymond. I feel like you're, you, you're just, Raymond. you're just everybody loves Raymond characters. Raymond. Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. That's really good. That's that's my one of my best. Give me a line from Killers of Flower Moon as uh, Robert from Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> that's how he would do it. Uh, okay, okay, clearly. No, I was gonna do like uh, um, you dumb boy. <laughs> oh, he's spanking him. No, that was uh, Brendan Fraser. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Why are you being such a 
dumb boy. <laughs> Someone audibly laughed out loud in our theater when we watched it. Oh, man. My, remember that I lined to you when we were watching it? I was like, man, George ate the jungle. <laughs> George is the jungle. That's yeah, what he said. Yeah. George of the jungle, too. George is the jungle. <laughs> the jungle. Oh, man. He's got to live in that afterglow from the whale. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, and I love Brendan Fraser. Don't get me oh, wrong. Yeah. I love all forms of Brendan Fraser. Anyway. Mighty morphing Brendan Fraser. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I like him fat. I like him skinny. I like him with a bad back. <laughs> this is a podcast, so you're going to have to deal with the fact that we go off the rails every once in a while. Yeah. Um, so after going over these roles, give me a piece of advice for me being, let's say I'm the first time director producer of my short film. Give me some advice. Okay. Like the one, the one thing I would say. Yeah. You should act in it. Hmm. Why? <laughs> to give you that, to, to be in the seat, in the actor's seat. What if you're not good at acting? No, that limits. So don't act. <laughs> I, I'm a firm believer that everybody can act. It's just the types of performances that they can do. Yeah. Not everybody can cry, like on command. I cry when no one tells me to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I can't stop crying, actually. But yeah, I think I think acting it, it can be a small role. Or you just build everything around to you just being the director, the cinematographer, and the actor. Whatever small, 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 small story you can tell in that way. Goes I back. remember you did that for a 48-hour film. Mm-hmm. It was you sitting on the toilet talking to yourself from like across the hall. Yes. It's on my YouTube channel. Uh, and that was part of actually Kick the Ladder, a game show almost that uh, a fellow named Isaac Dietz, local legend of a, of an indie filmmaker that has done a bunch of music videos and stuff for like Lecrae and whatnot. But he ran it out of his house for years, might still do it. Uh, but he would give prompts every week, like during the season of Kick the Ladder. And that was one of them was like, you couldn't move the camera more than 10 feet. And so I was like, well, I, with my wife's iPhone, I filmed that just shot reverse shot of myself and then um, masked myself in for one of the master shots. Nice. So yeah, I, I have experience acting in front of the camera and I initially wanted to be an actor. I mean, that is like one of the wildest ideas I think I've ever had. I look back and I'm like, what? No, maybe in like a comedic sense. I feel like that's more my speed, but it was like a dramatic, I wanted to be a dramatic actor. I'm like, I'm so uncomfortable doing that. Yeah, it's tough. It is so tough, but that being uncomfortable was really helpful. I acted in the first two Campus Movie Fest movies that my friend and I made. Boy and His Bike. A Boy and His Bike and And Demons. And And Demons was the one that we won a national prize for. Uh, and you're a national prize winning yeah. actor. And at GGC, the, where you compete locally and then it goes nationally, I won Best Actor. Wow. Uh, which I always forget about. <laughs> it was a weak year, okay? <laughs> it was a weak year, people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it was fun. But that was the extent of what I wanted to get out of acting. I think it gave me enough, though, for my next thing that I was doing to really understand how to talk to an actor. And hmm. Yeah, I just have a lot of respect for actors and what they do. They make the most unrealistic things real. So, yeah, it's like a key. I, that's my piece of advice because it's a key to keeping it really small. It can help you with, as you mentioned earlier, the rehearsals. Minimize that time. Oh, yeah. Because you already know. Yeah. A lot like the motivations and everything. I assume you would know if your story is strong enough. Yeah. If you've written it as well, uh, we're talking to somebody who probably has written this and I know it sounds like a lot and it is, 
because the more that you take upon yourself in this, the more you will be able to adequately unload it onto someone else. You'll learn from your mistakes as you go on. I'd say that's a, a, a good piece of advice. Yeah. Again, have the self-awareness, constantly thinking about what you did wrong. How did this go wrong? What did you do right? I know yeah. Steven Spielberg, he says he constantly goes back to Duel, his first film, um, to see what he did right. Duel is great. It is. It's I really up. like Duel. It's top tier Spielberg, I would say. I agree. Yeah. The shot where he comes out of the phone booth right before the truck, they did that practically. They use the same dinosaur death noise when the truck goes off the cliff spoiler alert uh as when jaws dies or the shark in jaws it's the same sound effect Hmm. was jaws right after duel uh no he did at least i think he did sugarland express in between the two okay but I, i actually wanted to know if there's any time like anything really bad happened on set for you it's funny that you ask because i had just Rewatched, Here the Vulture Waits, which is the short film that my friend Clayton and I made after we made our Campus Movie Fest movies. So we had we had won ten grand on a national prize. We poured every cent into that film. That film just had its ten year anniversary. So I rewatched it. It was like sentimental. I'm like, I'll watch it. Doesn't hold up. I think it holds up for something that it's like our first real big outing. I remember going hemming and hawing, writing it and stuff like that. But there's just one really. This is funny because like it's embarrassing to bring up but I pointed a gun at somebody on set like a an actual live an actual firearm Uh, and it had been you know disarmed or whatever it had been deactivated so you couldn't put bullets in it anymore or whatever but I don't even remember what I was doing but it was the sound guy he called me out on it and a couple of other people jumped in and they kind of like publicly excoriated me (laughs) rightfully so Pretty much the way I've learned it is that you <laughs> should always pretend like God could put a bullet in that gun. Tell that to Alec Baldwin. <laughs> I was just about to say I shuddered with the Alec Baldwin story. Yeah. Um, blows my mind. But that was a big thing for me. Just first set, like something, it didn't really go wrong. It just... Could have. It could have. It was one of those moments where you have an alternate history flash before your eyes. We wouldn't be here right now. Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. But in terms of practical stuff, I talk about it in the previous episode with uh, Nightbird set, uh, the big climactic scene with the turning off the fridge, having to pay for the food and burning a hole in the, the couch and having to buy a new couch and nicking the cabinets. Those are those are three big things that they didn't change what we were doing on set necessarily, but that I wish I could have planned around and just I, I spent time dealing with those things that I could have been shooting or whatever. So yeah. I could have gotten... Yeah. That's off your, off your mind. Yeah. I remember the docuseries that we worked on having to pivot all the time. Oh. Because it was unscripted. Yeah. Every time. Even the scripted things where we had our host reading from a teleprompter, that was flying by the seat of my pants the whole time too. Just because we never location scouted. Mm-hmm. It was like, hey, we're going to get an Airbnb, start shooting as soon as you get there. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you're done, leave. Yep. Pretty much. We were on a very tight schedule. No buffer. You just got to work with it. And that ended up pushing into post-production a ton where we had to just go back and keep shooting B-roll that yeah. we didn't get because we had nothing but A-roll. Yeah. And <laughs> so you realize the B-roll is, is key to that sandwich. I mean, we learned from that how just how integral that is. Yeah. You need to reserve at least a full day for B-roll for even like a two episodes of your series. Oh, yeah. Let alone the whole series. The whole thing. Boy. 
You will yeah. not listen through all the A roll if you don't have B roll. Yes. And it, there's just nothing more punishing than getting managing a set and then getting to the edit and being realizing, like, oh, I don't have this shot. Yeah. For reusing like the same B roll shot. Like, <laughs> oh, dude, I did that all four the times time. per season. Uh, no yeah. one's going to watch this episode anyway. <laughs> you know, uh, it's a good shot. No one will know. I'll play it in reverse this time. Yeah. <laughs> By the but, way, I think we recorded all of it at like 30 frames. So we couldn't get like anything slow-mo. Maybe we did a couple times. We did it very little slow-mo. Yeah. Very little slow-mo. But and none yeah. of it in 4K because we didn't have huge memory cards. So everything was just in 1080. Yep. Refrain. Shot it, it in 1080 to put on a DVD being squished into 720. <laughs> that was... That should not have been. That probably was a, that was probably a grace, to be honest. <laughs> it just smooths it over a little just bit more. Lose just that much more. You can't see when our host is reading something. <laughs> that's, that's very true. You Uh-oh. could you could tell. I actually wanted to share another disaster on one of my sets. Oh, you thinking of you keep thinking of them? It's it has a good lesson. Um, yeah. So we were shooting a training portal series for a client. The client has their budget. We hand off to them to purchase the location and the actors and just like all of those expenses, basically. And they wanted to save a buck by not getting actors. Oh, yeah. And so they picked their employees of this company that would do the training because, you know, they work there. They know the material well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they're they're outgoing people. Uh, but that does <laughs> off not camera out. Yeah. The camera is a is a this goes back to my thing about acting. Yeah, it is. It is a creature that yeah. most people are not comfortable being in its presence. It's a new person. Yeah. You have to pretend like you know this person and you don't. It's absolutely vicious and people know it. Yeah. And so getting in front of it, it's very hard for people to be vulnerable and even just have that bubbly personality that they normally have. They're just reserving it. They're pulling it back. They don't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. Again. And they're also messing up a ton, which is, well, that's what happened to us. Yeah. We, and we they were through. on a teleprompter too. We gave ourselves three days to cover like pages and pages of script mm. that Zach wrote. Going back to your point, they got charismatic people to yeah. read the teleprompter, but it did not translate. I'd say like when you get in front of that camera, your your personality takes like three steps back. You've got to like really overperform for your personality to come through on screen. Yeah. Um, but anyways, we edited some of it and we realized that it sucked. Mm-hmm. And so we had to redo it. It took almost a month to get everyone because we got four actors this time. When you skipped two. a step, you sent that footage to the client. Yeah. And we told them, this is not going to be good. This is what it looks like. We'll allow you to make the choice. But we think that we see a red flag and we're just letting you know. We think it should change. And they agreed. Yeah. And they realized you got to get an actor. A lot of people think you can cut corners, but the cheap man pays twice. Yes. That's what I learned. We're just swapping war stories at this point, and that yeah. should really give you an idea, first-time filmmaker or first-time short person. That short film person. Short. First midget, okay? <laughs> <laughs> that you are going to have to suffer through this. And that's what Martin Campbell said in that quote, too. It's mm-hmm. it's grueling, it's tough, and every time it's tough for different reasons, but it does get better because as much as we have these war stories, you become, you're in the trenches with these people. You get real tight with this crew. I use the same sound guy on several different things. The guy that I pointed a gun at. So, you know, it's like, come on, you, 
gain so much by suffering through these these situations and trying obviously as Christians we can take up our cross daily right and I know it sounds kind of trite to be like oh me bringing a Snickers to set is taking my cross daily but it is if your crew is going to have to go an extra hour yeah and not have food or whatever it might be or have a gun pointed at them <laughs> at least it wasn't loaded <laughs> yeah taking up my cross daily is just not picking up a gun <laughs> Oh, so you've been director more than I have, so you probably have yeah. more to say about directing actors. Yeah, so that makes you better than me, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> you guys can't see his face right now, but he's he looks very smug. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I've done more than you. Yeah, uh, I've done more. Makes me better than you. I was GGC best actor. <laughs> GGC. Yeah, oh boy. You guys probably don't even know what that stands for. It stands for <laughs> Georgia Gwinnett College. Don't go there. <laughs> if you've heard about that college, you know, more power. College. To it was a college. It's in the name. It was a four-year. Sure. It wasn't like a community college. Yeah. It just, it's, it's, it's a money-making scheme, Johnny. That's all it is. Well, actually, I got paid to go to GGC. Not kidding. Wow. I got uh, what here in Georgia is called Hope Scholarship. I got Hope, too? Well... I also, I also, no, sorry. I had a Hope Scholarship and I also applied for Pell Grant. I didn't get a Pell Grant. Based on my parents' income. Great. <laughs> so that's why I went to UGC. I don't well, think you could. I was the that. best actor there though. That's, yeah. yeah. For, for one semester, I was the best actor. Well, there. best actor. How do you direct actors? <laughs> uh, well, that's a good, that's a, actually a really good question. Ideally, you've rehearsed with them. Ideally, you've talked to them and they've read your script and you can coach them through it. I would say never tell them exactly how to say something hmm. never say you should say the line like this <laughs> and, and then you do it yeah you should always talk to them in emotional language mm-hmm. what is their character's motivation you, they, they are that person and they're trying to put real flesh and bone on them so what are they motivated by i find a lot of times on set the actors want to be physically doing something they want they say like i, I want to get up i want to move they want movement. What do you mean by they want to move? Like during the scene or like just yeah. set in general? Yeah, I think that just to give their lines more meaning and sure. a more reality to them. Tell them no. Oh, of course. I mean, if you're in charge of the performance, yeah, yeah. so you could have them do it a couple different ways. Yeah, yeah. They want to have the blocking, which is the movement of their body basically on set, figured out. Uh, or not. Sometimes they want to just do it live and you have to just deal with it, you know. Uh, but you can, you can, that's all like on a spectrum. You don't have to just. I would say another good piece of advice that I learned. I took a directing course actually at, mm-hmm. at Georgia State. So you're, you're more educated. After, af- after I went to GGC, I transferred to Georgia State. Nice. And so did I. Then I quit. Yeah. <laughs> so now I actually have. You're the, the more educated. Yeah. I have the authority on the subject actually. That's true. <laughs> Anyways, one tip that our, our professor gave us was to break down each line of dialogue that they're giving and determine in that dialogue what is the object that they want that could be tangible or intangible and write it down next to each line. And that's oh, yeah. really helpful for the for the actor to know like their motivation, basically. Even as the writer, you can write in un- like a parenthetical. So you have the character's name and then underneath that you can add a space to say like hurried or mm. angrily or something like that. Don't overdo that though. 
Yeah. Only do that somewhere where it's not really obvious. And I actually, I would just advise not doing it because the actor's going to want to do that. As a writer, you can you can do the director's job and the actor's job in your script. That's not something you type. That's something you write in pen on top of it. And it should be something subtextually or just obviously reading it is the case with your scene. Not yeah. your your actor should never be saying exactly what they mean uh, or exactly what they are feeling. That's what makes a good line of dialogue is it's in human nature to conceal what we think and feel. This makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's usually the worst lines. Yeah. When you talk about bad acting and bad writing, they can be compounded. You can have a good actor run through a bad line. And what they're doing is like they're mining that line for everything that it's worth. A good actor will actually like probe the director. Like, why is it like this? It should be said this way, you know? Oh, yeah. Or come up. I have that all the time. They come up to me and say, hey, can I say it like this rather than that? I'm not really say this. Yeah, I'm not very precious about that. As long as it's comfortable and the meaning remains intact. As director, I guess something else I'm curious about since you've been director more than I've been. (laughs) Man, if you can't, you can't see Johnny's face, but he's really angry right now. His (laughs) eyebrows are pointed down. This makes me so mad. (laughs) He's saying exactly what he feels. (laughs) I don't care. (laughs) You're saying exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, how would you manage like the tone on set? Cause a part of being director is you're the, you're the culture of this work. Oh yeah. Quote, oh yeah. Quote. You're the dad. Yeah. And if your set is wild and crazy, it's because you're allowing it to be wild and crazy. You, you need to be soft and strong at the same time. But tone gets back to, I shared the story. I think a part of it before I, I've never laughed harder than on the Nightbird set. I laughed so hard. I broke a sweat. I, I hear this about horror sets that they are funny because it's like inherently goofy to see people get killed or be, you know, haunted by something like they're, they're interacting a lot with special effects and it can kind of just come off goofy. But I, there was one line that I had the actor say that had to be cut from the script. So to give you context, it's this man breaking up with his mistress so he can save his family from a supernatural force, AKA the Nightbird, And he is a school teacher and his mistress is a waitress. He met her one evening going out to this restaurant. I had written this line. He says it like completely dismissively. He's dismissing her. You know, she's like, you love me. We're lovers. You know, we have love like no other blah, 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 blah. And he's like, you are my waitress at a Buffalo Wild Wings. And myself and the AC, we were in the corner just dying, laughing. And it was getting on the actor's nerves. So we ended up having to cut the line. Uh, But it really tuned me in that I like comedy where I was like, I just the most earnest scene here that's supposed to be played so seriously, I'm totally coming at it from a different perspective. I'm just like enjoying it for not what I was supposed to be enjoying it for. You wrote that line. I wrote that line. Yeah. I wrote that one that made me laugh. It's just super funny to see someone insult someone else to their face. It mean though. And just, yeah. And, and Buffalo Wild Wings just rolls off the tongue. That's it's a, a funnier name of a restaurant. It's, it doesn't hit as hard as like, it didn't. No, we, we tried to say like, you, you were my waitress at a restaurant or maybe we actually, Maybe we didn't cut the line. That's what it was. We didn't cut the line. We changed the line to you were my you were my waitress at a restaurant. Not which as funny, yeah. not as funny. It's not nearly as dismissive. It's more of a punch in the face to have him say that. Mm-hmm. And and there's just something funny about the phrase Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> now, so managing the tone on set for your actors is really important because for the actress, she couldn't get in the headspace because my AC and I were laughing so hard. I remember just like hiding behind the fridge that was unplugged 
uh, <laughs> and just like trying to hide myself from the actors because I was laughing too hard. And it becomes a compounding thing later in the day. It's like when you stay up too late yeah. and realize it's like the funny hour. Oh, yeah. So Everything's funny. That just blew up even more. Mm-hmm. We then transitioned to being at uh, at the home of the main character and the story transitioned to be about the wife. She wakes up and she's having a serious moment after like 10 hours of working with these people. I'm just cutting up with the crew. And this had nothing to do with anything that was written. What was written was serious, but the tone was goofy. And so the actress couldn't get into it. And the main actor pulled me aside and was like, hey, you need to like tone it down. And so I get blasted for it, pointing guns at people, for telling jokes, yeah. for saying ethnic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm a, I'm a wild card on set. Yeah. I like to have a good time. Yeah. Honestly. And that's actually a good piece of advice. Just have fun with it. It yeah. is going to be a grueling day. So you do want to make it as enjoyable as possible. I'm also a hound when it comes to the schedule. So those two things go hand in hand, though. Like, I can I can take the time to laugh because I know I have the time. Yeah. So. I, you got to know when to. You got to know. Because yeah. if you're just all about having fun and not about staying on time. Yeah. Could waste so many resources. Easily. And, and it goes back to the hospitality thing. And you're just being inhospitable and disrespectful to people who have given you their time for free, typically on your first short film or even for money. You know, they're getting paid less the more they're just hanging out. So yeah. you want them to walk away and be having nothing but good things to say about you and your set. And yeah. your faith should be leading all of those things. Like you care about these people mm-hmm. and you're going to be working with non-believers probably. So, and I mean, at some point in your future, you will anyway. So you want you, it's part of your witness, I think. So you being a hound on sticking to the schedule, how could someone like me, who's not as good at that? Uh, you just proof. suck at everything, Johnny. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> you just don't direct and you don't know how to do a schedule. I've directed. I know you have. I know you have. You directed the docu series. Yeah, season three. You picked up season three. That's a good question. I, I love spreadsheets for this type of thing, and there's templates too, and you can read other people's schedules and call sheets and whatnot. Talking to your DP ahead of time yeah. about how long setups are going to take. Uh, really getting in there for for location scouting. A lot of what we're saying is going to curve back to pre production, obviously. But that's what scheduling is about. Yeah. And then you you just owning it. I had the binder and I had a clipboard. And that thing, I was always saying like, all right, guys, we have 15 minutes left between setups. We have to move. And then I get in there and I help you guys move. You know, That's you- actually really good. I wanted to touch on that. I think it's actually really important for helping set the tone to be willing to get your hands dirty as the director on set. Oh, yeah. You know, not so lofty. You haven't earned it. Especially if this is your first, yeah. your short film, you know. You should just be eager to get your hands dirty anyway. Of course. To learn. But yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think that's super important is that you are, from from a leadership perspective, you're in the trenches with the team moving lights. That makes the crew want to work harder for you because yeah. you're working harder for them. Yeah. And they know that if we fall behind, it's not because of you. Yeah. You know, you are working in spite of that. So yeah, that's huge. If this is an area where you were just absolutely the weakest at sticking to the schedule having your first ad yeah. to afford you is actually a really good i would yeah that yeah. seems like a place where you'd want to talk about that balance yeah you may not be able to for your first yeah uh short film but you just really need that help yeah it is is very valuable yeah and i think you learn how to budget those setup times and the transition times and everything by just eyeballing it uh, okay, I, I over budgeted time. It's better to over budget time, obviously, because mm-hmm. then you can just move it around. But knowing how on the fly, that's where you really start to to cook. Yeah, is where you're, oh man, we got ahead. 
oh, we cut that one thing. Okay, I know I can do this. I can. You, you're constantly looking at the schedule and trying to manage those things. Thinking about it before production, like before shooting as well, like just thinking like, if we can cut this time here, we might have time for this. Yeah, know? yeah. And we're talking about a, a short film that's probably less than 10 minutes, probably less than five setups. It should be that. Anything else should be just straight daylight. You just turn that camera on and rock and roll. Heck yeah. You know, let nature and the Lord do the work in terms of production value on those things. Um, yeah. You know, and you can always go back and shoot B-roll. So if you need to cut things, that's it's a good band-aid. Yeah. You just have to know what it looked like. And, and ideally you're recording and you would be able to look at the images you've captured and say, okay, here. But yeah, just that, that goes back to know thy limits. You're just having your wits about you and knowing, hey, I, just, I know with the crew that I have, I can't push them that hard. I or I can push them that hard, and I know I'm going to get this thing out of them. If it's your first time, you won't know that. Yeah. So by by you just being the one person on set doing most of the work, you might have an actor, you might have a sibling or something like that. You know, stand in as an actor and walk around in the woods for your short film. You are going to learn a lot about how fast you can move as a one man team, and then it becomes really easy to do the math. It's like, okay, if I have two people, I got this guy doing this thing, doing audio for me or whatever. Do you have anything that you love doing on set, Johnny? Cause you strike me as a, I know this about you. Obviously I know that you love pre-production and I know you love post-production you on set. Yeah. On set. What do you actually like doing? I'm starting to like dabble into being the cinematographer on set. Oh yeah. That's something I do enjoy. That's I could, cool. I could see the appeal. Yeah. I've always thought DPs are just, you know, idealist. Uh, yeah. You know, they sociopaths. say don't ever let a DP light your cigarette because <laughs> it's going to take them forever. That's good. <laughs> yeah. But we did a, essentially it was a mini doc for one of our clients. And I talked with the director and I kind of just became the DP. Again, our crew is very small. And so we are. This is with our agency that we work yes. with, right? Yeah. I wear many hats on every set that I go to. And so this is one of my first times being the DP. And so we've filmed interviews for them many times and always had one setup for every video. And I assumed we were just going to do it the same. And I said, this is a big deal. Let's change it. This is probably like one of the most important videos we're making as an agency. Yeah. This company has been around for a hundred years, hundred years. None of, none of our other clients have been around for a hundred years to my knowledge, at least. So this is like a very important video. And I said, let's frame this interview to have the photos of the owners or the the people who pretty much built this company behind them. That's now, right. In this building, they have their photos just throughout the building, uh, paintings of the founders and previous owners, previous presidents, whatnot. So we were able to get them to arrange photos behind where we were filming. That's cool. We had them looming over their heads. Yeah. The, the subjects of the interviews. Approvingly looming. Just like you, they have this legacy on their shoulders is what I was. Yeah. And you visually communicated that. Visually communicated that. That's and awesome. It worked out great. And I've gotten many compliments. So. That's great. Yeah. Because yeah. I was going to say you did uh, BTS on uh, my documentary. And I really love that. Yeah. In terms of what on set, Johnny and I have worked together in the past, if you can't tell. Uh, we worked previously at a ministry and then now we work at an agency together. And the docuseries we worked on at the ministry Johnny was lashed to his desk. Yeah. He just was, was always post-production. Always post-production. Did a lot of animation for us, and it's awesome. 
so I don't have a lot of experience with you, like being on set with you. Yeah. Well, I would usually be a camera op around you. That's true. Well, yeah. That's and I fair. actually enjoy being camera op. I, my well, favorite camera is, op to, to DPs is an obvious yeah, yeah. evolution. Um, I love B-roll days, I would say. I don't have to deal with a DP. Don't have to deal with an actor. Or an actor. Typically, anyway. <laughs> uh, those are the easy days. Yeah. I'll take those. That's cool. Be, so being a DP, I didn't know that. That I, Again, it's 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 recent. Yeah. Uh, it's just something that it's like, it's the it's the new toy. Yeah. Me. So that is something that I'm finding. You know, you could be like just someone who, as someone who's just like creatively thinking about things mm-hmm. in the edit, it's good to just to do it on set. Yeah. Coming from the editor position, it actually helps me a lot on set. Like you said, I think you said earlier in the episode, think like the editor, Mm -hmm. do this for the editor. I'm programmed like the editor. So it translates well. That's, oh man. As the DP, you're in charge of getting the images that the editor is going to be arranging. Yeah. So you are crippling them or you are blessing them. So I, yeah, Yeah. I have no desire to be a DP. Yeah. Ever. Ever. It's a lot of pressure. I resist that every which way. I probably should learn more of it. I feel like I have just enough camera knowledge to know what people are talking about, but yeah. not enough to be like, oh, you need to throw a 70 on there and, um, you know, Matt box that bad boy and blah, 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 <laughs> put it on what, bones. I don't even, well, meta bones. What are we talking about? Meta bones. <laughs> um, what are some of your least favorite things to do on set? I don't know what do I hate about being on set. I think I'm built for it, but the anxiety of something time sensitive, just that idea of being like that. I'm, it's me against the clock. I always hated in video games playing the the time trials, you know, where there's like a countdown or whatever. You're running around. Oh, time, time is, you know, it's a force of God. It's you against God, essentially. <laughs> Thanks. You're right. <laughs> it's true. I'm rebelling. Time. Well, I'm just saying it's a constant thing that's always moving. You can't do anything to change it. And... You have to work within those limits, basically. It's annoying and it's exhilarating. You will either win or you will lose. And that sucks. Mm -hmm. I love prop work. During Nightbird, we had a puppet that I worked with my dad to make. And it's mostly dead animal. It's mostly a turkey that we bought that we cut up. And its wings are attached to an old teddy bear. And then a coyote head is the head. So it's this like peeled back skull, basically. But it was just a simple rod puppet. We had a, a rod shoved up in there that the end of it was the skull and out, out of the butt, basically, I could control it. Mm. And so I was able to do that final motion in the short film, spoiler alert, where the bird rises up ominously. And that was awesome. I love puppet work, stuff like that. I thought, I was like not sure if that was practical or CGI when I first saw it. Oh, that's funny. I was like, how did you get CGI in this thing? Like, I almost added some CGI flies with my buddy Zach Miller. Uh, but it just, it took away from it what was so there. Good. Yeah. It's, and what sucks about that is that it looks so good. You want to see more of that. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the jaws. It is. That's true. That's yeah. You, yes. You tease it. And I should, I could have teased it more like looking back, seeing how well that works. I didn't know it was going to work that well. Oh boy. This looks awesome. Music but was great. Oh, the music's great. My buddy, uh, Jacob Hamilton scored it, but yeah, the puppet work, I would love to get more into that. I, I, I'm always watching BTS of like Return of the Jedi. Stan Winston Studios. Oh, I love Stan Winston. Yeah. RIP, dude. Yeah. He touched so many great films. He's probably my, f- like, in terms of inspiration, he just like, he made Predator, worked on Terminator. Man, all this. He did Jurassic Park. Yeah. The the Kings of the Practical Effects. I love it. Looking at Jabba the Hutt. Oh, yeah. And it took like 15 people and a midget. 
to to make him do everything. It's like hey, you talked about midgets earlier in the episode. This is this isn't my midget cast. <laughs> I want to push into that, and that's actually what often scares me away from doing things is the limitations of what I can do on set. Again, I'm I'm more on the know thy limits. Like I don't challenge myself. Yeah, you should. The other side of know thy limits is push thy limits. Mm-hmm. Like go a little bit further. Too shy. Follow the fear just a little bit and do something that might scare you. Mm-hmm. We've all seen the the Hobbit films, the behind <laughs> the scenes of Ian McKellen, but he's like in a fully green screen set talking to no one. And he like breaks down crying because <laughs> he's like, I can't do that anymore. You know, it's like something practical. It serves your actors too to be able to look at something as opposed to like a tennis ball on a stick. Yeah. At least in Endgame, they had Josh Brolin on set wearing a big body piece or whatever, right, big right. head over his own head. Yeah. But he was actually there delivering the lines to you. At least you could, you know, yeah. Like what? How do you explain Spike? It's 3D. That was all green screen. It's the exception to the rule. Okay. <laughs> I'm the guy. <laughs> Elijah Wood. Man, that was a different episode now. A yeah. Spinoff over here. Our Elijah Wood episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's he's good. He's good. He's in uh, Over the Garden Wall. Oh, that's really good. I love it. I was going to say Robert Rodriguez, who did Spike It's 3D, is a very good, like, small. Yes. Guy. He's super resourceful. Yeah. And to the point where I like resent him for it. I wish he would buy my copy of Spike It's 3D off of me. You know, <laughs> come on, man. But that was just a different time, different era. Yeah. I, Sin City is awesome because it leaned into that aesthetic so hard. It's like, I know I'm not in reality. It's this comic book world. That's cool. So us as Christians, how does that make us different from the secular set? What, what do we have different than the non-Christian film set? Non-Christians, they do. If you've ever been on a set like a really well-run set, it's awesome. You do still become like a family and everything, and that's something that we can learn from them. But we do have hope and a drive and a motivation for hospitality where there might be more cutthroat behavior. On set, it can get very petty. I'm not helping them. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing that. I'm above the line. You're it's on a very thin thread, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, because their whole relationship is built on money ultimately yeah they're paid to be here they get along it works uh, you know if everything's going right that's awesome but it can all turn to crap instantly because oh, yeah. one thing oh yeah now, i'm not saying that's not true of christian sets but we are built on a firmer foundation i would say yeah if we're all christians and also. hospitality should be just dripping from you because you are representing the king you're representing the master we take this way more seriously yeah we have way more skin in the game yeah and that's the idea is that your job isn't really making an amazing movie it's working with the people and taking care of the people who are helping you make an amazing movie and obviously on your first short film this isn't something that you are going to be necessarily encountering in an exact way but it's something principally you're going to be experiencing you're going to be feeling the burn in a lot of different areas, you're carrying a lot of responsibilities. Mm-hmm. Whereas once you get into hiring people who might not be Christian, or even if you do it on your first short film, you should have that in mind. Mm-hmm. My witness is on the line. I remember working with a sound girl on the docuseries mm-hmm. that was not a Christian and going out of my way to really help yeah. her understand what we were doing. We were there evangelizing to students on campus. So just keeping that in mind, yeah. And knowing that whatever you're doing is not nearly as important as the eternal souls, your film will probably burn up when Christ comes back and renews all of creation. 
Maybe not. I don't know. I don't have that information. He might keep these things around, but we know for a fact that the eternal souls that you're working with are still going to be there. So how you treat them is directly related to your faith and what you believe about them. So uh, not blowing up on them, not demanding anything of them that, that you know, and, and you're going to get into situations where you are being perceived that you're doing certain things. So you can't help those, but try and just remain above reproach. Don't look like you're trying to get one over on somebody. Just be honest with them. With that said, like what are, what would you say are like some pitfalls that Christian sets typically fall into? In the production phase, just totally misunderstanding it. Just getting there and you're just fumbling around trying to get stuff. Oh, why don't we get a shot of this? Oh, why don't we just turn the camera around 180 degrees and shoot that direction? Well, we can't because the sun is coming in. Oh, I don't really care about that. Okay, well, I'm a, I care because I'm making something as the DP and I don't want to make a bad image. I'm not going to ask them to do something that they think is looking terrible. Yeah, it's the inexperience for sure. Yeah. I like that scene in Ed Wood. Oh, actually, I've never seen it. Oh, I've only seen like the first half of it, but Johnny Depp, they go out and film like one shot and they're done. And he's like, great, let's go to the next scene. And they're like, wait, should we do another take? He's like, no, we already got it. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's the attitude I've run into. And that's actually where a lot of God deserves better comes from is being on set being demanded to do certain things, knowing that it's not going to turn out because I know what post-production is going to require. Going back to like the fix it in post, that's never usually thrown out on a Christian set, but it, it's just created in post. Yeah. Actually, so yeah, yeah, yeah. like the, the idea that we're strategizing in real time, like, oh, maybe we should talk to a student and say these questions instead. I think that's fine if you know that you're minimal viable product, but if you don't even know that, then you're just wasting my time. And you get that idea of you feel like you're being used as a crew member. So I think being a Christian is doing everything out of gratitude. So never feel like you're entitled to anything. To, to do, avoid being combative. Like if you run into a DP that's like, I'm not shooting this because it's garbage. That means you've probably let them down somewhere in the pre-production phase and didn't communicate something. So really knowing how to de-escalate. Yeah. There's so much where your faith comes in i think just being joyful and cheerful people that is, really helps it's super of course i think you could pray on set too i was gonna say that yeah what are your what are your thoughts on praying on set oh i'm a coward so uh <laughs> i pray in my car before i get to set okay no and i pray silently <laughs> squeeze your hand if you're wanting to accept christ <laughs> yeah your yeah close your eyes and squeeze your neighbor's hand that's what it is Sorry. oh is it you've never been to like a, a youth group conference not like that. Mine was you just raise your hand. Your heads are bowed. Okay. Every eye, every eyes closed, every head bowed. Pinky. Raise your hand to I see it work. Yeah. Oh, I see you out there. I yeah. see you. No one look. Praise God. No one look. Yeah. Don't look. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, in all seriousness, praying before you do anything, it really sets your heart and your mind and the day on what matters the most, which is the movie already exists. It's in God's hand and you have to ask him for it. Mm -hmm. And even if he doesn't give it to you, you say thank you because he's giving you what you need at any time. Even if your movie goes off the rails and becomes unusable, it's not unusable to him because he is using it for the people involved. Yeah. He's using it to sanctify or convict the people involved that you are growing in holiness through the, the trials and struggles. Creatively, you know, professional struggles, but as well as like, I'm being impatient right now. I'm an impatient person. So praying beforehand is a way to really help me focus and jump ahead in my mind and say like, God, 
in my flesh, if I was to do this day in the flesh, I'm going to be biting people's heads off because these grips are over here wasting time. These non-Christians or Christians, you, if you're in my crosshairs when I'm impatient, it really doesn't matter. So my flesh wants to just demand and dominate as opposed to collaborate and lead. You really can't do that without Christ's presence and the spirit in you. And I would recommend praying uh, and really don't be ashamed because what does that even mean? If I have to ask the creator, the author of all life that has made me in his image, that I'm actually a, a sub creator, as Tolkien might say, if I spend some time before creating, asking for his blessing over what I'm going to be doing, I think that's a good thing. I don't really I mean, care what Joe Schmo, non-believer, believes. So yeah, uh, let's see. G- give me some some final little practical nuggets here, Johnny, and then we'll wrap up. Um, one thing that helped me a lot, of course I went to college. Uh, I graduated with a degree, so I learned a lot from there. Uh, studiobinder.com, they have a lot of good articles about just how sets run and a lot of helpful things, even post-production, you know, every phase. Some YouTube channels I really like are Epic Light Media. They're really, they really helped me with learning a lot of DP tricks, how to light sets, how to frame things, you know, how to be more creative. Mm. And Ryan Mickey as well is another one. Never heard of him. Um, yeah, he's really good as well. His, I love his videos because they're like seven minutes tops. They don't go like 20 minutes. It's as long as it needs to be. Yeah. None of the fluff. And then a friend of the show, uh, Colin Osbury. Oh, yeah. Uh, he has a really good channel. He's good. He does a lot of like good lens reviews and black magic, pocket cinema, 6K camera. Oh, yeah. Tips and tricks. Up and coming YouTube star, I would say. He's got uh, a lot of really great things to say. His oh, yeah. work is awesome. He just went to Japan and shot a bunch of B roll. And one guy's going to do a, like a lens review yeah. uh, that he took uh, a lens over there. But his last name is A U S B U R Y. Mm-hmm. Colin spelled the normal way, but Colin is awesome and yeah. you can learn a lot from him. There's a lot of other YouTube channels. I think Daddy YouTube is going to be the yeah the biggest thing. Wandering DP. Yeah. Um, there's a couple other guys that are in that same kind of uh, vein that learning from DPs I think is huge. Watching industry pros talk about things, watching BTS, you get to see how your favorite director, whoever it might be, runs a set. And all that stuff is on YouTube. I watched the Zodiac one last night. Oh, it's like 30 minutes long. And it was awesome. Like you get to see them talk about Fincher and how detail oriented he was. And he was working directly with the police officers and victims, even in a lot of cases wow. of the Zodiac killer to be on the actual crime scene saying, Hey, what was it like? This was it like that? Oh, actually the sun was over here at that time of day. And wow. uh, there was a tree here at the time. So they like airlifted a tree in and and put it back where Jeez. it would have been and they were like stapling grass <laughs> into this this beach that's um, crazy i don't know how how productive if it's worth that well i think it just shows you that's top tier that's high echelon what can i do what level of yeah. detail can i have you could definitely scale that back that's like almost obsessive yeah i think there's it's what you're trying to communicate about that story and that story was about the details and he personally experienced growing up in that area at that time. So I think a lot of it was mm. personal exercising okay. for him in the in the PTS thing. But commentaries, they've gone away now that we don't have physical media. It's true. It's true. That go back and find oh, I got it. a good spiel about streaming, but that's another episode. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But finding commentaries and watching your favorite movie and watching a commentary, because all they're doing is saying, hey, that day... Oh man, yeah, we had to do this, this, and this, and blah, da, da, da. It's what you're hearing from us, but on a higher caliber. Nothing helps you there better than just hearing from 
from those who have done it better than us. Yeah. Um, you and know, from people who've done it. Oh yeah. So production information is hard to come by and it really comes down to just living it, putting on the boots and getting out on set and having that experience firsthand. It's really hard to communicate what that's going to be like for you. It's very dependent on your story. It's very dependent on the talent that you bring by you. If it's just you and a camera, that's way different than if you, I mean, amazingly get like five or six people to be in your film and you're in a restaurant that you're able to rent or are just asked for. Those are vastly different things, but they're both maybe people listening that are making their first short film in those two totally different environments. So if we haven't covered everything, know that there's way more and hopefully this just serves as a guidepost for you to to dig deeper. And and on that note, I think confidence and hospitality are key to winning any shoot day as the the combo role of director yeah. and producer to kind of hit back to our Christian faith that you're executing the game plan, the thing that you have obsessed over, that you have nailed down to the second in pre-production. You're staying on schedule, you're keeping the troops fed, you're pulling great performances out of thin air, and you're securing that footage on a hard drive and then leaving a good impression wherever you go. But we have to remember that all of this can be in vain if you fumble the next phase, that is post-production. So you don't want to screw your editor over because that editor is probably going to be you, whether it's Final Cut or Da Vinci or Premiere or whatever. Next episode, we're going to dive into some real hyper-practical things about how we actually saved that docuseries that we keep talking about in post uh, from being a total dumpster fire. And so we'll just leave that teaser hanging there. Until then, let's get out there and work heartily for our good and gracious God, the Redeemer of men. Thank you for listening to God Deserves Better, a production of Pemmican Studios. 